Soccer Weekly ESPN LA 710. It is an honor and a privilege to be with you each and every week here on ESPN LA. I am Dave Denholm, joining you as always, Soccer Weekly presented by Puente Hills Toyota. Get your new 2018 Toyota Camry SE today at Puente Hills Toyota. Check them out, PuenteHillsToyota.com. They've been with us for a long time here on the show, and we appreciate it. You... May or not have been with us a long time. You might be in your first few seconds here. It's a pleasure and a privilege to be entertaining you here. That's what we try to do. This is a show about soccer, but it's really about entertainment, and we hope to do that here over the next 60 minutes like we do each and every week here. Now, i got to start with a Champions League action. Of course, we're in the midst of the MLS playoffs. We'll be talking about that over the coming weeks. But the Champions League really starting to heat up. And specifically, i got a couple of things to chat about with you. And if you want to hit me up on Twitter, it's at TalkSoccer. The first is Jose Mourinho and Manchester United. This is exactly why Mourinho does what he does. So guys like me will talk about him incessantly. But I'm falling for it. I'm taking the bait. And I'm going to chat about it. They took on Juventus a few days ago in Champions League play. Actually, yesterday in Champions League action. I watched that game. Juan Mata scores in the 86th. And then a Panucci own goal, which was really, you know, kind of what are you going to do there? And Juventus blows a 1-0 lead after Cristiano Ronaldo scored one of the best goals you'll ever see in the 65th minute. I mean, he is just incredible. But I'm not going to talk about Ronaldo with that game. It's Jose Mourinho because he pushed the right buttons late, better than uh, Max Allegri did. And full credit to Mourinho. I've been hard on him. I, I thought Man United should have moved past him and moved on from him earlier in the year. And now, wouldn't you know, he goes into Juventus and beats the old lady 2-1. And with that goal, the two goals late, realistically. And again, it doesn't stop there, though, with him. Right? That would have been like, okay, go shake Allegri's hand, accept your win humbly, and move on. Because it was a massive victory for Man United in Group H. With Valencia still breathing down their neck. For that second spot. And even, you know, now United has a shot for the first spot, really, if Juventus does do any more slipping up. So it was a massive win on the road. They needed it, and they got it. And Jose, Jose Marino could have just walked off and been happy with it, but no. But no! He's got to be the center of the world. So he starts gesturing to the Juventus fans, kind of egging them on. Now, we don't know what they were saying to him all game. Okay, I get it. He might have had his fill and had enough, and maybe he wanted to give it back to him a little bit. I understand fans are don't act 100% good all the time. We know this. But if you're Jose Mourinho, I mean, it feels like he's always looking for the opportunity to do that stuff, to put the attention back on me. Love me, says Jose Mourinho. Instead of worrying about his team and focusing on how great they were, and I understand he says all the right things a lot of times, and you know what? A lot of people who played for him love him. But this is the kind of thing that wears on you unless you are winning everything. You can put up with that as a fan or as a club if you're winning every last thing. They're not under Jose Mourinho. Right? So if you want to be a cocky guy like that, you can't be seventh in the premiership after 11 games. Long way to go. But we can realistically say it's it's an uphill climb for Man United to get back up and, and win the Premiership this year. They're not going to do that, right? Nine points back, and Man City is just so good. There are three teams that are still undefeated at the top of the Premiership. It's not going to happen for United this season. 
Now, they can still climb the table and do well or whatever, but if you're acting like Jose Mourinho does time and time again, you better be winning every last trophy and absolutely cleaning up, and he's just not doing it. So immediately after the game, I'm watching him like, you know, you got to give Man United credit. Got to give Jose Mourinho credit. Oh, there he goes. It's like he can't stand prosperity, that guy. And everything has to be about him. I understand it's a shtick to a certain degree, right? And it served him well. At some point that gets old and it gets tired. And then you just look like a clown. And that's not taking anything away from him as a manager. He's still a very good manager. I get it. He's not as good as he thinks he is, but that's nearly impossible. And it's, But it's just too much. You should be talking about Juan Mata, who is one of my favorite footballers in the world, by the way. You should be talking about the great comeback. Instead, he's got to make it all about him immediately. That's just unacceptable. Now, another thing that's unacceptable that came out of the Champions League over the last few days is the unacceptable referee's call in the Man City-Shakhtar game. Again, if you missed it, go watch it. Raheem Sterling goes down, literally tripping over his own feet to try to get a shot off. 100% tripping over his own feet yesterday in a game against Shakhtar Donetsk at home at the Etihad. And they go on to a 6-0 win because the, the penalty's given. And it's early in the game. It's still 1-0 at that time, but 23rd, 22nd minute, somewhere around there. And Sterling gets a ball in the box, looking to shoot. May well have scored if he could have kept his feet. He tripped over his own feet. It happens. Not blaming Raheem Sterling. Referee has a terrible angle on it, admittedly. He's behind the play. It happens when you deliver a longer pass like that. Referee can't be everywhere. And misses the call, says it's a penalty, and they go to the spot. Now, there's no VAR, right? They can't be helped by that. Some people will scream immediately, oh, you should have VAR. This would I hate video replay. I hate it in all sports, not the least of which soccer. It's killing the sport in the long run. No, that's not the answer. You know what the answer is? Raheem Sterling needs to get up, put his finger up, and say, no, it wasn't a penalty. Now, you're going to say, Denholm, that's ridiculous. That's absurd. The referee made the call. And you know what? You're right. There is no room for that, and that is a problem. When we're talking about a massive sport like the Champions League, he can't get up and do the honest thing. And that bothers me. You can say, well, it's not his job to do that. You're right. It's the referee's job not to miss the call that egregiously. You're right. But I would have loved to see Raheem Sterling in a sporting manner get up and try to plead with the referee to say, you know what, I tripped over my own two feet. But he can't do it. There's too much on the line. Imagine if they were trailing 1-0 in the 90th minute. Could you imagine what the fans would do to him if he would have said, you know what, referee, it wasn't a penalty. And imagine if the referee would have said, thank you, Raheem, I'm uh, reversing the call. Oh, there'd be outrage. And yet it was it's the right thing to do. But you can't do it. Now, again, video replay is not the answer because in the long run, it screws up way too much stuff and it kills the rhythm of games and it kills the passion. It's awful, by and large. Because they still miss way too much stuff with VAR. So you might as well just not have it. Sometimes this happens. But people also, another aspect of this... 
whenever somebody goes down in soccer, I'm the soccer guy, right? At Talk Soccer on Twitter. I got a lot of followers who don't happen to love soccer from other things that I do in media. And they're always bombarding me immediately. No wonder everybody hates your sport, Denholm. Look at this. Look at the dives that these guys do. Really? You haven't seen an NBA player take a dive? You haven't been watching. Really? It happens. It's awful. They're trying to clean it up. But this, in fairness to Raheem Sterling, when everybody started harassing me with it seconds later, look at this guy diving all over. This must be the worst. He didn't dive. Give Raheem Sterling a little credit. He didn't dive. Did he trip over his own two feet? You bet. Did it look bad? Yeah. Something that I might have done on the playground? Yes, and have many times. I'm the only guy who would knock the air out of himself once or twice a game just by falling over his own two feet when I was a kid. So I get it, Raheem, but don't blame Sterling for diving. It wasn't a dive. He wants to take the shot there. It was a 90% chance he's going to score from that angle. Of course he's not diving looking for the penalty. He ends up getting it, and he can't do the sporting thing. Too much pressure. There's too much on him. I understand that. I would have loved to see it. But don't blame him for diving. That's ridiculous. Yet that comes with the territory of soccer, right? It's still something we got to work on in world football, in cleaning up real diving. This was not that, not in the least. Hit me up on Twitter, at TalkSoccer. Thoughts on Jose Mourinho and Raheem Sterling and how that all goes down and the perception. Uh, you know, Jose is just a you know, boy. Is he his own guy? I'll tell you that. I'll never get over that. He's not winning nearly enough anymore to act like he does. I am Dave Denholm. This is Soccer Weekly. Still to come, coming up next, in fact, the general manager of LAFC, going to be a pleasure and a privilege to talk with John Thorrington. That's next here on the home of world football in Southern California, ESPN LA 710. Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. I am Dave Denholm hanging out with you here. We are privileged to be joined by the general manager of LAFC to chat a little bit of black and gold. He is John Thorrington. John, thanks so much for taking the time. Of course. Happy to be here. John, uh, I wanted to talk to you immediately after the game last week, but then I, you know, I wanted to let it sit for a little bit. Now that we've had a little time to think about it, what are your thoughts initially on 2018 on the pitch for LAFC? I think it's it's certainly no solace in the short term when we're getting ready to watch a playoff game that we feel like we could be playing in. But, yeah, yeah I think overall, and my answer would have been the same the night we suffered a disappointing defeat as it is now. I think in time we will see this year exactly for what it was, which is the the laying a foundation, the setting trajectory of, of what is to come. And we certainly feel excited about the work that got done here, not just for what, what has already happened, but I think how it sets us up for the future. And I think the frustrating part, that's sort of the, the big picture view. When you look at the more myopically at the game in game out we certainly are left frustrated because we felt like there was more in it for us this year mm-hmm. and uh unfortunately we're watching the playoffs instead of being in them well look it, you're absolutely right about it being as we look back a fantastic season overall on the pitch what was there anything that surprised you on the pitch in 2018 yeah i think we all had very high hopes from ownership on down with uh, the level of talent we had in terms of our people, our staff, our players, mm-hmm. that we would at some point be 
you know, this vision of being this exciting attacking team and uh, how we played, how we connected with the city. I would say the surprise is I, I was confident we would get there. I think the fact that it happened almost immediately is is surprising. I don't think I, I, I wouldn't say I, I'm surprised by the success. I think I'm surprised by how quickly it all came together on the field, off the field. It was uh, it was an incredible thing to be a part of this year and leaves us all very excited for years to come. John, you, you, we know that you have had a big part of this, of course, and the ownership gets talked about a lot in LAFC and what they've done and putting their money where their mouth was over the years, certainly. Talk a little bit about, though, the front office people who work with you that maybe a lot of folks don't know, don't get a lot of credit publicly. Yeah, I mean, I think one of my first hires on the soccer operation side is, my, is our assistant general manager, Will Koontz, who... Mm-hmm. You know, I think working with him and how we manage our budget, how we spend things, uh, spend our resources wisely and set us up for, you know, being in a position where now we feel great about the group we have, but we have spent responsibly and we're in a position now where we can go out and strengthen further. And, uh, and now he has come in and, and really given, given good voice to how we do things do things here is has been incredibly positive and i certainly think he deserves a lot of credit for for the things we've done and you know i think if there is one thing i would be bold enough uh to risk sounding arrogant i think the thing that we did here is we hired really well so your point about the people that don't get enough credit the too many too many great people that contributed to the success that every individual gets to do the credit they deserve but that's everything from our equipment guys, our medical department, the fact that we, you know, we had one freak injury with, with Mark Anthony K, but that aside, we basically had a full slate of players to choose from heading into the playoffs, which is unheard of. Uh, and the way they performed, the, the physical demand we asked of them, there were very few injuries, how they worked with the technical staff, our equipment guys, our analysts, our scouts, they're Far too many individuals that that to give them their due credit, but um, certainly it's an amazing group of people to work with. We we joke that we rush to work every day. <laughs> well, let's get back to the pitch. We're talking with John Thorrington, GM of LAFC, and the, the Black and Gold had a fantastic first season on the field. John, no organization, no good organization stands pat in the world of football. We know that. You know that better than I do. So we do have to look ahead. There were changes even in the midst of this 2018, which isn't all that rare either. What are you looking for in 2019? I know we can't talk specific names necessarily, but you do have to shore up some areas. What are you looking for in 2019? Yeah, I think we, as a technical staff, and we won't we won't go into specifics publicly, but we've very clearly identified areas where we can strengthen, and I think it would have been naive for anybody to think you create a complete team in in one season. I think we've gone some way towards achieving that, but certainly we've identified some areas where we can strengthen and that work that work doesn't start now. That work has been uh has been ongoing for, for a number of months and even years now. But we we will be adding pieces that we think will help take this club uh continuing continuing in the can continue the progress of this club in the right direction. You know, baseball and basketball certainly are growing around the world, but soccer's still unique, John, in, in that 
you can find talent literally at every corner of the planet. What is the plan in the offseason for you and Will and some of the front office? Are you going to be traveling a lot? Do you do most of that from Southern California? What What does the offseason look like for you guys? Our player identification process starts remotely, and then once players filter through and get to a certain level of interest, that is when we would go see them live. And we've got a number of targets that we will in the coming weeks go and watch live we've already been uh taking a few trips but yeah my travel calendar will heat up uh quite a bit as will bobs and some of the other stuff is it good that in a weird way that the mls calendar kind of works against the rest of the world's calendar in that sense that you're able to actually go see games that matter in the winter months uh Yes, in that sense. No, in the sense that the vast majority of players, with South, Africa, South America being the exception, yeah. are in the middle of their contract year, so that works <laughs> against you. So it's, uh, but certainly the ability in our in our down, I can't really call it downtime, in our non-playing time, um, to be able to go see games certainly is really valuable. We are talking with John Thornton, GM of LAFC. Now, John, I got a conversation with you at the expansion draft, and you asked me publicly who I might have picked in the expansion mm-hmm. draft. One player I said, and I'm going to go ahead and, and out it now, is Bill Tuoloma. I thought he had some potential. What are your thoughts on Bill this season? You've probably been scouting him since I mentioned <laughs> him. I know that. Uh, he's had a pretty good year. Yeah, he's... Um, yeah, no, he, uh, I mean, he played in the last game. He's provided depth for them and is actually playing ahead of some of, uh, some other acquisitions they had recently. And, and so obviously he's proving his worth, uh, is proving his worth there. So I'm not going to go so far as to say you were right because you we were <laughs> pleased with the expansion selections we had. With, I'll say uh, you did better than me. Okay. I understand that you did better than me, but, but I will say this too. The you, only reason I knew him was from. You know the you under a, whatever have, it was. You have a keen eye. He's yeah. uh, he's done well. Well, the only reason I mention that John is because I watched him in the uh, I think it was the U twenties, the World Cup. Mm-hmm. More and more, we're able to see those kind of things, right? The U seventeens. Now you're not yeah. going to necessarily have uh, you know all eyes on the guys from England or something like that necessarily, but you you know Andre Horta, a perfect example of that from a great Portuguese side at the U twenty one. How important is it to kind of start looking now that MLS has the possibilities maybe to go after these young stars and young uh, players, and you've done it with uh, Diego and you've done it with uh, Andre. How important is it to watch the U-17s and the U-20s now? It's critical for us in terms of how we build our roster. We've got a very clear and disciplined strategy in the types of players we want to bring here, and you've seen that this year, and it's you know, at the at the DP level, but also, uh, you know, across our roster with guys like Edward Atuesta and Mark Anthony Kay is an example of that, that you can't leave any stone unturned. And we certainly search high, far and wide for talent everywhere. And I think what fits our our model and, and uh, the the trajectory of the club is identifying and uh, and recruiting some of the top talent from around the world because I do think we have an incredible environment and stage for players to come and, and further their careers. John, we talked about this in the past. Uh, how do analytics still fit in? Like, In other words, what part of the equation is that now in this new world? It's a... It's a... <laughs> to, 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 to overuse the term, it's a data point in our decision. So we... We have a full-time data analyst. He certainly helps with our efficiency of making decisions. Mm-hmm. 
and how we can filter, you know, you say how hard it is to see everything everywhere. It does help filter our decision-making. We have a very clear way of how we play and the types of players that will fit into that, and, and data can help winnow thousands of players down um, to a more palatable number for us to go see. But it's, um, you know, you have to marry the, the data with the visual arts and what you're seeing and how the data translates to, to what you see. And some of the most interesting conversations, in fact, are when the data tells you one thing and your eyes tell you something totally different. So we are, um, you know, we're bullish on the role data can play, um, both in our recruitment and our opposition analysis, and we'll, we will continue to try to build out that department and, uh, and our work product there. Well, not to get too specific with one player, I don't want to put any pressure on an academy-type player because they are very young, but LAFC does have a unique idea that we've discussed on this show. How many years away, maybe, are you, though, from relying on players to come out of that academy and go right into the black and gold lineup? It's, uh, it's case by case. You know, mm-hmm. these are oldest academy players are 15 now or turning 15 this year, and that puts them, you know, realistically two, three years away from being full-time professionals, but we certainly have some prospects that we keep an eye on our academy, uh, and I think they are getting some credit, but I think it would be difficult to overstate the amazing job they've done in in these short couple of years of establishing our academy both in in this region and then nationally and even internationally now. So they've done a fantastic job. We're certainly excited um, as we can, as that bridge is uh, the gap uh, can be bridged when when these guy when these young men become you know fifteen sixteen seventeen years old we start to, to look at them as as professionals. John Thorrington, general manager of LAFC, and he's a good friend of the show. He comes on, and we really appreciate you taking the time, John. Thanks so much. Uh, again, it's not an off season, but happy hunting when you're looking for players and enjoy the holidays. Thanks, Dave. Much appreciated. You bet. John Thorrington, LAFC's general manager. We appreciate him taking the time. Still to come, we got Black and Gold Breakdown talking more LAFC. And then later, it's stoppage time. All to come here on Soccer Weekly on ESPN LA 710. Soccer Weekly ESPN LA 710 rolls on. We appreciate John Thorrington, the general manager of LAFC, joining us in the uh, previous segment. By the way, if you miss anything on the show ever, each and every week, you can, of course, podcast Soccer Weekly at the ESPN Pod Center or iTunes. Check it out. Just uh, search Soccer Weekly. Subscribe, rate, and review. And, hey, I've been in radio for 30 years, so if you hate me, you can review me harshly, give me a bad rating. It's fine. I just want to know. I want the feedback. But most of you, I know, do love the show, and I appreciate all of that. It is time now for one of my favorite segments each and every week. It's the Black and Gold Breakdown. One, two, three, breakdown! It's the Black and Gold Breakdown. Breakdown. Break it down like this. Right now. Truly no better person to talk to with the Black and Gold Breakdown than Vince LaRosa of LAFC.com. Vince, at LAFC Vince on Twitter. He's a friend of the show and a friend of mine. Always a pleasure, Vince. Thanks, buddy. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Vince, uh, let's get right to it. I wanted, and I talked with John just a few minutes ago, and I, I told him the same thing. I wanted to peel back away from the loss by about a week. <laughs> it was so fresh last week on Soccer Weekly that it had just happened literally hours before we did the show, essentially, or a day before, that I wanted to like sit on it a little bit. Now that you've had time to digest that, Vince, what happened in that game, the 3-2 loss to RSL? 
you know, it, it did feel like one of those things where you woke up from it and you weren't sure if it was reality or, or a dream and, and not so much a, a nightmare all the way through because there was a lot of positives I think we could take away from that game. But if I had to really break it down, it, it's that, that idea of control. Bob Bradley always talks about it. When his team plays best, they need to finish their chances and wrestle control of the game. And I think they never fully did. Um, and it always just kept leaving doors open for ourselves. Is it me, Vance? Or Look, we've talked about it, and I always like to say it. This is kind of what I say on the show. If you're going to be a, a, a soccer team in, at a high level, you've got to make your opponent score world-class goals. The Cristiano Ronaldo goal earlier in the week in the Champions League, which we'll get to because Vince is a Juventus fan. But that kind of goal. Make your opponent score that kind of goal, and I know that's a little ridiculous. And you'll be fine. It seemed to me, Vince, that LAFC got bit too many times this year on goals that should have just never happened. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's where I, I feel like I get drawn into uh, Twitter arguments all the time, which I probably shouldn't, <laughs> is with people that when goals like that are scored, when a guy does a crane kick from the karate kid, and the next thing they say to me is, you got to fix the defense. And I, I say to them, how? how, how? What, what defense in the world stops that? You can give me... Yeah, but uh, wait a minute, you know, Vince. The, you got to clear the ball. I understand the crane kick, but they should have never happened. Yeah, and and, and to me, the, those are that's where maybe that's where the nuance comes in, right? So yeah. you tell me we need better defense, and I say to you, no, you need just a slightly better clearance in that aspect. Yeah, I mean, you did get a clearance, but it went through through the central. And, and if you look at that entire play, there was a little bit of emergency defending, and it seems to me the real Achilles heel is. They make that initial emergency stop, but never fully clear the danger. And that's something that I think is much easier to remedy than when I hear people saying, just clear it out. Let's start from scratch. I sure, just don't sure. agree with that. What do you? Let's stick with the defense, Vince, as we're going to break this down. We're talking to Vince LaRosa here on the Black and Gold Breakdown. He's at LAFC Vince on Twitter and, of course, at LAFC.com. You read his stuff. You love it. We start in the back. Tyler Miller wasn't necessarily thought of as maybe the automatic number one, of course. They brought in Luis Lopez, and then he got hurt. Miller certainly had a good year. Let's just stick with the back line. Getting a little older now, Vince, even as the season wore on, it felt like with a lot of minutes to be played by Betashore and Harvey getting up and down on that left and right back spots. Does this team need to they, – they got to shore up the back line, you would think? Yeah, I think we'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I, don't, I think the core is there. Um, but I think we will see some some reinforcements because, like you said, you you can't have people, you can't have guys playing that that many minutes uh, at that high of a level, especially when you're a team that wants to compete every year for the Open Cup and for MLS Cup. So you're p- competing on two fronts. You're going to need some fresh legs to come in. But I, I do think the the defense did pretty well when you think about the fact that there's two guys that the two uh, sales this year both came. From, from the back line, Omar Gabber was probably thought to be the starting right back. Um, and then you have Laurent Simon that eventually leaves midway through the season. Mm-hmm. They still were able to, to push on through that, and, and they would say, you know, they're probably disappointed with the end result, the amount of goals that ended up going at the end of the year. But also, there's a lot of good things that they did and a lot of things that they do to, to control matches that go beyond just letting in goals. Vince, uh, maybe the worst-kept secret in the world, finally announced officially yesterday that Mark Dos Santos, the great assistant under Bob Bradley for LAFC, moves on to become the Vancouver Whitecaps 
head coach, new manager replacing Carl Robinson, actually replacing their interim manager whose name escapes me right now. But uh, Mark Dos Santos, a fabulous coach. Talk a little bit about that loss for Bob Bradley's staff. You know, there's two ways to look at it. I think one, the first way would be that Bob says it's always a collaborative effort here. So his entire staff, uh, from, from Monte Razov, Kenny Arena, Mike Silver, everyone works in conjunction and they, they push each other. Uh, Mark is one of those guys that definitely had a very high tactical acumen um, and had been all around the world. So he'd seen so many things, so many cultures. I think one of the things that people might not know so much about Mark that is probably uh, something that uh, teams should seek after is he spoke so many languages, too. He could speak Portuguese. He could speak French. Obviously, he spoke yeah. English, a little bit of Spanish, speaks some Italian. So that ability to communicate with players, communicate your ideas, especially high-level ideas like Bob Bradley's, that might be where he's indispensable. Yeah, it kind of stinks that he goes to another Western Conference foe because he is so good. And I enjoyed my chats with him about uh, soccer and uh, after practices and such. No doubt he's a great hire, but that's what you get when you're a great organization. Guys are going to leave, get better jobs, that kind of thing. They're going to move on. No no question, we wish him well. What do you think happens with the staff with Bob Bradley? Does he does Mike Sorber become more of a permanent assistant coach, or do they look somewhere else, do you think? Uh, I would think they would probably bring someone else in, whether they're, it's a direct replacement in that role, or like you said, somebody moves over and they, mm-hmm. they open up another spot. But I would think, like I said, it's, it's always been a collaborative effort, and I think they really like the idea of having – those uh, ideas kind of butt up against each other, and each week uh, figuring out who's got who's got the best idea and which which is the best plan to go about. So it wouldn't surprise me uh, to bring someone else in, whether it's as a replacement. Um, but I don't think it, it goes. I don't think it goes unfilled. Talking with Vince Larosa, check his workout at LAFC Vince and LAFC.com. Vince, what's your assessment of the midfield and the forwards and and just the the way the season went on? There was some kind of trying to find that perfect fit at times up front. What, what's your thoughts going into 2019? You know, it, it, a little bit hard to assess some of it just because of the the injury to Mark Anthony Kay is a player who was, who was so good. And yeah. we wish we could have seen how he, he panned out throughout the rest of the season dealing with the extra workload and high intensity of games. But you have a team that scored 68 goals this season. I mean, this is a fantastic side when it comes to, to getting forward and attacking. The one aspect of it is, again, we, we always keep falling back on is control of games, and that starts from the midfield. Now, after a while, we had guys that kind of similar to the defense where it was the same guys week in and week out, and that's going to wear on you a little bit. So we really need to start seeing contributions uh, more so from guys like Andre Horta. Obviously, when Mark Anthony K comes back, um, we're going to start to see those, and that can take the pressure off. Uh, the focal point, which is and will be going for Carlos Vela. He, he's the guy that runs the offense. Bob Bradley more so started to, to really push that uh, narrative to people. Um, it was the worst-kept secret. Obviously, we all knew that. Um, but you need players that can pass the ball, that can move opponents so that he can then pick up his spots and be moving towards goal as opposed to always picking up the ball maybe out in the corner or always with a man on his back. You know, it's funny that you mentioned the controlling games, and I love that. It's absolutely true. I think you're spot on with your assessment there. Why do you think, was it just a fluke that that seemed to happen more often, that they lost control of games at home, ironically? 
You know, it, it's hard to say. I think maybe it is a fluke. Some some people might say it's um, that the crowd fires you up, right? This is a team. I will say this is a team that I know that loves to go forward and they love to go forward quickly. And yeah. that's not always the right answer. Sometimes you have to uh, use possession in a defensive way, where you can just kind of move the ball around. It, it seems like it's sterile possession, but really, what you're doing is you're recharging yourself and you're wearing out the opponent. Um, and that's something that I think this team can do well, but they don't necessarily like it because they like to go to goal so much. Um, and that's something I would like to see moving forward. Uh, kind of that, like I said, that defensive minded possession where the ball looks like it's not doing much. Um, but really you're just holding on to the game and you're, you're kind of strangling the life out of it. Yeah, especially when you consider that with the loss of Mark Andy Decay, there were times in that midfield it was Atuesta, Kay, and Failhaber. That seems pretty defensive-minded, and yet they all got forward in unison a lot, and it still didn't hurt the offensive production with those guys. Yeah, the the, the rotations were so on point in in that in that setup, um, and that's why it's so hard for let's say when somebody like Andre Horta comes here, or even Lee Wynn to a lesser extent, who who seemed to really pick it up quickly. But this it's not an easy position to play because you're never asked to be in one spot. You're asked to always positionally fill in for someone else. So if someone moves and has to react, you have to react with them and with the play. And that's, that's where it becomes so difficult. But that's also where the reward can be large. If you have a midfield that can both pass and play in any area of the field, that's where you get your control. And that's, that's something that you know, maybe, maybe what we're seeing is it's, it's more of a year project. Uh, but I think for stretches, we definitely saw a team that in midfield was more dynamic than, than most midfields across all of MLS. Yeah, Vince, don't answer this. I don't want you to get in trouble. I'm just merely saying this in our conversation. But I'd like to thank Perry Kitchen for costing LAFC MLS Cup. Thanks a lot, Perry. As we move on, Vince, as we look for 2019, that's tongue-in-cheek, by the way, folks, before anybody gets too crazy. As we look towards 2019 with this team, is there a little bit of a danger, potentially, Vince, of that, that sophomore slump with this team? Or do you think this team might be a bit immune to that with Bob Bradley in the in the, in, in the stead here? I mean, you, you'd like to think so. Bob Bradley, I, I know, is someone that we saw, him, we saw him right after that RSL game. He's ready to break down that RSL game and move forward. I don't think the planning even for 2019 started after that RSL loss. That, that planning's been always in effect, and it's something that it changes with every little bit of game, every uh, in and out of players, uh, you know, every signing. So I think that this is a team that has always been built to sustain its its successes and to build upon them as opposed to putting together a, a really good team to have a really great first year and then see what happens the next year. So I think this is, um, if, the key, if there's a key word for this season, it was foundation. Um, and I, I, you'd have to say a third-place finish in the West, the foundation is good. Um, and I know for a fact that John Thornton and Bob Bradley have already started. They're well into their plans for 2019, so I, there's no resting on their laurels there. Well, from, from the black and gold breakdown to uh, black and white, Vince loves a Juventus. Vince, what happened the other day? Come on. What uh, happened? You know, I was watching that game, and uh, <laughs> it felt like uh, I was watching some, some of the LAFC games <laughs> that we've been through this year where they, they literally dominated, and it should have been 5-0. Yes. Um, and I will say this, though. For, for all those people that tell me that, that LAFC needs – to when they have those 1-0 leads and it gets down to the eighth minute or so, they need to just bunker in and sit back. Look at what Juventus did. Yep. They brought in a third central back. They tried to bunker in. Now, this is – and we're talking about probably 
the top three defensive team in the world. They try to bunker in, and they can't do it. So I would just say this. That's a cautionary tale. When you're ahead and you look like you should be 5 nil ahead, but it's still 1-0, maybe you need to continue to attack. Great stuff, as always, from Vince LaRosa. Check him out at LAFC Vince on Twitter, and uh, check out his work at LAFC.com. Vince, always a pleasure, man. Enjoy the offseason. I hope we'll be talking to you soon, man. I appreciate it. Vince LaRosa of LAFC.com. Again, check out his work on Twitter at LAFC Vince. Soccer Weekly rolls on with stoppage time still to come right here on the home of world football in Southern California, ESPN LA 710. Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. I am Dave Denholm hanging out with you. Thanks so much to Vince LaRosa from LAFC.com. And, of course, John Thorrington, GM of LAFC. We had him on earlier in the show. If you missed any of that, Check out the podcast. Search for Soccer Weekly on iTunes or at the ESPN Pod Center. Time now for our favorite segment of the show each and every week, Stoppage Time. What time is it? It's Stoppage Time. Yeah, Stoppage Time. It's Stoppage Time. Right now. Joining me right now, the host of Stoppage Time and the producer of this show, he is the great Mario Reyes. Mario, pleasure. It's a pleasure as always, Dave, isn't it? It is, buddy. What's going on today in stoppage time? We got a whole lot going on. Let's get right to it. We got David Beckham's new MLS franchise, Inter Miami, won yes. voter approval on Tuesday night to move forward with plans to build a soccer-specific stadium. That's pretty Boy. cool. Mario, you know, MLS honestly has made David Beckham and his group jump through so many hoops to get the stadium done when teams like Atlanta or New York City FC didn't need a soccer-specific stadium that it made me wonder – if it would ever get done, frankly. And kudos to him and his group. They finally got it done. Making it happen. Yeah, you know, and that's uh, certainly a guy as powerful as David Beckham and the people he's working with. It still goes to show you how many hoops you sometimes have to jump through. you got to give him credit for keeping that alive. He could have quit over this a long time ago, Mario. Yeah. I give him credit. Inner, inner Miami, I expect to be a success. And afterwards, uh, Beckham touched on several topics regarding his, his uh, franchise, including Griezmann's repeated interest in playing in Miami. Uh, Beckham told ESPN FC, it's always nice to have great players want to come play for our team. He's such a great player. I'm a fan of his. He's a fan of mine. So maybe one day we'll be gracing the building in Miami, and that's what we want. Look, I love Antoine Griezmann, right, Mario? Yep. But I got a little concerned about this. Why is that? Because he and Carlos Vela are supposed to be thick as thieves, close as can be, right? They're, they're real good friends yeah. by all accounts. I don't want Antoine Griezmann getting in the ear of Carlos Vela in a couple of years, like, hey, join me in Miami. <laughs> How about it goes the other way? How well, about yeah, Vela gets into his ear? Exactly. I'm, uh, I'm more worried about uh, Antoine ended up in Miami. I would love to see him in the black and gold eventually. This is what you years. tell Griezmann. Hey, we got LeBron playing here. You can see LeBron play every night because, you know, Griezmann, he's a big fan yeah, of uh, NBA. NBA. Yeah, you know what else, do. too? You know what else you have to tell him? And I mean this sincerely. And Again, I've been to Miami many, you know, Florida and all that. Yeah. I know our good pal, uh, boy, he's going to hate me for this, Pablo Alcina, you know, obviously <laughs> spent some good time in Miami. But Miami yep. is an L.A. wannabe town. <laughs> you don't go to Miami if you're Antoine Griezmann. You go to the real thing. You Let go him to know, Los Dave. Angeles. Let him know, Dave. Exactly. That's what, I, that's what I say. Miami is a wannabe Los Angeles. That's all it is. With worse weather. Yeah, it I'm, has horrible weather down there. Don't tell me about such great Miami weather. It's dreadful. People love Miami, though, and then you know, people when they have to make that big decision on where they're going to play, where they're going to live. Yeah, they want a great city. They want well, a vibrant city. You know, it's it a big vibrant. part of it. There is some of that. There's a lot of great culture, just like Los Angeles. I'll give it that. It has some strengths. 
You want to know one of the biggest strengths for Miami is when it comes to like maybe a guy coming from Europe to play? What's that? Is that it's so much closer ah, yeah. to Europe. I know that sounds crazy. Some people are like, what do you mean it's so much? Well, it's five hours by airline closer than Los Angeles is to Europe. That's, That's huge. When you do a lot of traveling yeah. to go back and forth to see friends, family, uh, just that to play. That might be the only thing it has on L.A., maybe. <laughs> and even that, you know, when you're in a private jet, what does it really matter? All right, Dave, we got a new statue of a soccer player here, and it's oh. uh, kind of horrendous, Dave. I'm wow. not going to lie. The it's Mo Salah. A... What are they doing? Yes, what is going on? They unveiled it, uh, um, and it quickly had the fans on social media just – you know, just oh, not not happy, and including the the sculpture, he wasn't happy at all. She wasn't happy at all uh, with the final product. Mario, I don't know what your young son does artistically. <laughs> he could do this in Play-Doh. Oh man, at it's his bad. age, it's bad. Go Google it, Mosala statue. Uh, it's pretty horrendous. And I don't want to insult your young son. He might be a, a Picasso in the making. I mean, but he's young. He could do this. These things look horrible. What in the world? I couldn't do it because I would make it even worse. Don't get me wrong. But it, it just seems like there's such a disconnect with some of these statues. <laughs> I've seen bobbleheads better than yes! this. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, that is a great point. Yeah. It's unbelievable. You have to check it out. And in fairness, didn't the the artist herself actually say something about that? Like, she wasn't that happy with it. The way Not it happy out. with the final product is what she said. So maybe there is some disconnect in when you, you sculpt it, and then all of a sudden, I don't know if they have to cast it or something, and it just goes wrong. But wow, did it go wrong. Mo Salah, Cristiano Ronaldo, we've seen these statues for soccer, Mario. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, I know what's better than the statues for sure, and that's stoppage time, and that is Soccer Weekly. We are done for another week. Thanks so much to Mario Reese, the great producer of this show. Thank you, Dave. Thanks to John Thorrington, Vince LaRosa for checking in, Michael Funches, Jesse Lopez, Steve Paylette, Adam Bronstein, all the gang behind the scenes. I truly appreciate their work. I am Dave Denholm. Thank you for listening. This is Soccer Weekly on the home of world football here in Southern California. This is ESPN LA.